Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's the Thursday night before Sukkot. Tomorrow the Yontif. Uh, very busy week. I'm trying to squeeze this in for two reasons. I actually wasn't going to give any talk about Sukkot. Couldn't find any sponsors this week. I couldn't find anybody for Yom Kippur. That's why I didn't do anything. And I figured let things be. But a number of people wrote to me and bugged me and whatever. So I'm going to do it. I'll just share with you a, a couple of thoughts. Uh, weirdo, flaky thoughts on uh, Sukkot. And uh, those of you in Israel will be able to get it if you want for you, but you can do what you want with it. Uh, I didn't put a lot of time in because I had a lot of work to do besides everything else. I'm a divider of over here, and we had a long, many hours long about Sukkot and the COVID uptick and uh, what do you call it? Simchas Torah coming up, Shina, so you can just imagine. It's a full plate. There are a lot of matters that have to be discussed. The COVID rush, you know, and you don't need to muscle, but... Uh, like I say, I'll try to squeeze this in. Sukkot is upon us, and everybody knows the famous enigmatic Pusik where it says in the book of Nehemiah that the people um, had this big uh, ceremony in front of the base of Mikdash in the time of Nehemiah. Uh, that's the one where they have all the things about Rosh Hashanah, you know, and how you should, shouldn't fast and everything. I think it's in chapter 8, if I remember correctly. Let me pull up. My book over here, and it says that after they had this Rosh Hashanah business in the Chemia chapter 8, Pasigid Gimel, it says on the second day, and uh, the Gemara, they all say the second day Rosh Hashanah, which is an important point, don't forget that. Nesu Rashi Avas Acholam, all the big shots gathered together, Hakohanim Belvim Elezra Sofer. This is from the book of the Chemia, he was a contemporary with Ezra, as was the governor in the Chemia. I'm sorry, Nehemiah was the governor under the Persian occupation, but the, Ezra was like running the uh, the Ruchnia side. And so, and Ezra's a coin. And so they all gathered to him, Lahaskil's the Red Torah, and to learn Torah, meaning to understand what it says in Chumash. Now here's the funny part. They found written in the Torah in the Chumash, land sake, son of a gun, Asher Tiba Shem Moshe, Asher Yeshu Nisra Basukos, Bechog Mechalishashvi. That there's such a thing called the holiday of Sukkot and people should dwell in Sukkot. And that they should therefore, notice they, they resolved that they should issue a proclamation. Go up to the mountain and, and, build, and gather material for Sukkot. And get the four minim. In order to make Sukkot as it says in the Torah. Now, the plain meaning of that. No, the normal meaning is, as you and I know, that sukkah contains two elements. One is uh, you build a sukkah, and you see a sukkah, and the other one is the arbaminim. So the pasuk pashib shot without looking for any shtick says that in first verse they say you get dal, you should go and dwell in sukkos, and the second one they should announce to everybody to collect the arbaminim. Okay, and when it says lasso sukkos kakasu, 
It means, and to perform the holiday of Sukkot, as is written in the Chumash. Although many in the Gemara and elsewhere learned, they said no, that they used those four things to construct the Sukkah. So this is the famous Sheet Rabbi Huda, who we'll come back to later. He says the Sukkah is supposed to be constructed, the walls of the Arbaminim. I believe the Samaritans do that. I was once in Israel a couple years ago before my kids were married, uh, three, four years ago, something like that, and we had a driver, and he took us up to where Harbracha is, and nearby is the Samaritan village. I'm talking about the Kusim. And um, they apparently, uh, they, they build a Sukkah like that, you know, out of the, if I remember correctly. Out of the Arbaminim. Now, anyway, so the Pasik goes on in the Chemi to say, Pasik Tes Zion, this is the Jewish people in Jerusalem at the time of Ezra and Chemi, very beginning of Baishani. Ezra showed up six months after the construction of Baishani. Chemi showed up somewhat later. And so they constructed Sukkos on the roof and in the Chatzers. And the Chatzers based on him and the base of Migdash. Rechov Shara Mayim, Rechov Shara in front of two public squares. Mayasakol Akol, here's the biggie. Mayasakol Akol, Hashav Minashvi Sukos. And so all the Jews came back from the exile, meaning made the Aliyah, built Sukos. Vayeshu Basukos, um, and they dwelt there for seven days. Kilo Asimi Meishua Benun came Ben Israel Yomahu. The Jews, nobody had done this since the time of Joshua. Therefore, was a big simcha. So, big question is like, is what the heck is going on over here? Nobody made a sukkah. Like the Gemara says, Shmuel and Navi didn't make a sukkah. David and Melch didn't make a sukkah. That's what it says. They made a sukkah for the first time. I know you've heard this before. You can't be the first time you're, you're hearing this possible. It's not possible. So, what does it mean that there was no sukkah since Joshua? This is, so, there are a hundred ways of dealing with this. Okay? Uh, the Gemara get, finds it so difficult because the plain way of explaining it is is uh, is a uh, crazy, is strange. What they have to do is a uh, uh, serious mikra. You have to uh, uh, slice up. You have to castrate the pasuk and reconstruct it, which basically means that you do a chesuri mechzer v'hachi katani, like they do in the Gemara. You say that there are words missing in it. It's, now that is a legitimate Talmudic way of reading the Tanakh. It's one of the 32 or whatever it is, things in, the, in that Yishmael, Rabbi Yosef, Yishmael, whoever, Yishmael, Yosef, whatever his name is, that famous Brisa, Sirus Mikra. And it means that sometimes when you find certain Pesukim in the Torah Shabbat Sav, uh, they are to be read as if they're missing some words, and the, uh, the oral tradition will supply the missing words. Here's a perfect example. So on the one hand, they didn't want to read like this. That Vayasu call ha Yehudim coming back from the Gola. How's it go? Vayasu call a call a shaman a sweet sukos. Vayeshu besukos ki lo also can be shubanun. They don't want to read straight like that because that's like too shocking, and it is. So therefore, they say like this. Listen closely. There's two opinions in Gemara Erchin. Vayasu call a call a shaman a good sukos. Vayeshu besukos that all the people came back constructed sukos. Then you interpolate Chesuri Mechzer Bahavikani. And then it's like this. And then they were Mavakal the Yetzar Bavadazar. And that's that famous story in the Gemara, where is it, Yuma or something? 69. Where one way or another they got rid of the Yetzar Bavadazar, which is the explanation of why you have this sudden disappearance of a desire for idolatry among Jews. If you read the Tanakh, uh, the Nevi'im, 
The Jews are addicted to idolatry like nuts, right? Nothing can wean them away from it. That's like the whole book of the prophets of the Old Testament. <laughs> you know, every time somebody comes along, they're condemning the idol worship of the Jews. And they couldn't stop it. And they're hooked on it. And uh, we all know the story that Menashe and Melch Yehuda came to Ravash in that dream and said, Morrison Hedrin, you know this story. And Ravashi more or less said, why did you worship Odizor? And, and the other guy, the uh, Menashe and said, if you were there, you would have done it too. You would have tripped over your skirt to, to, to run to worship the idols. Meaning, there was the Yitzhahara uh, for Avodazar around at that time. And it was overpowering. It was addictive. And it was almost impossible to resist. Now, it was possible to resist, but it was difficult. So if you did resist and resist Avodazar, you got tremendous schar. But by the time the first temple period unfolded, it was clear that most of the time, most people can't resist. And consequently, the Umar says, in the time of Ezra Nechemi, Anshay Kesegdol, as we call him, because that's who Ezra Nechemi are, they're the leaders of Anshay Kesegdol. The Anshay Kesegdol is nothing but another name for the basin of Ezra, and which in those days was not called a basin, it was called Knesset. You understand? Knesset. That was the term. Sanhedrin, as you know, is a Greek word that came into use later. Um, in the Bible, in the Chumash, it's called Ene Ho'eda. And in the time of Ezra Nechemi, it was called Knesset. So, at that time, they uh, uh, had a whole mystical zach, and by the time it's over, there was no more Yitzhah over the Zara, and therefore Jews, ever since then, are not inter- interested in idols in the entire Second Temple period. You don't really find the movement of Jews' interest in idolatry. The Hellenist in time of Hanukkah was a political thing. It wasn't really a theological thing. It's just interesting. So, to get back to our story, the way you read the Pusik according to this interpretation, goes as follows. All these people make sukkahs. Now, stick in the middle of the following. And they got rid of the Yitzhah of Rizor. Now continue. Getting rid of the Yitzhah of Rizor is something the Jews have not done since the time of Joshua. And the Gemara says, Yeshua Benun could have done it had he wanted to, and he screwed up by not doing it. It's one of the big failures. In other words, according to this interpretation, when Yeshua Benun led the Jews into Eretz Canaan to fight the Canaanites. He had an unusually powerful zuchus, leading Bnei Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael is not a little thing, it's like a rough cook type word, you know, it's like a super mitzvah, and have a super zuchus, and had he uh, utilized uh, this super zuchus to pray, to get rid of Yitzhak, then we wouldn't have the rest of the unfolding of the sad story of the Nevi'im. You know, Yeshua Shavtim Shomolochim and all the others, we're constantly complaining about the Vodazar, which got bigger and bigger and took, took the Jews down. That is one way of reading the Pusik, but as I say, that's based on the principle of Sirus Mikra, which boils down to that the second clause of the verse is not commenting on the first clause of the verse, but rather it's commenting on a, a missing middle part that we are now supplying. That's one way of reading it. Another interpretation is, oh, I haven't seen this in a long time, <coughs> That Kedusha Saaretz, I think that's what it is. Uh, and the way you read it is like this. Vayasu, how does it say over here? Vayasu, kola kola shabmin ashvi sukos, vayishu basukos. Fine. Now add the others. And they were Makadish Eretz Yisrael the second time. So this is based on the idea that when Yeshua Benun came in, in addition to physically, physically conquering the country, he also imposed halachic status of Kedusha Eretz Yisrael. But then when the base of was destroyed by the Babylonians, it was Batal. So, Kedusha was shown a kitchen of Shaita, below kitchen of level. And now comes Ezra and Chem, these other guys, and they, and, uh, they 
reestablish the Sanhedrin or Knesset, and they impose a Kedusha Sa'aretz for a second time. This is called Kedusha Shnia. So the way you read it is, Vayasu kol akomish v'yisukos v'yishu v'sukos. And then, as we got everybody together and uh, declared Eretz Yisrael, they have Kedusha's Eretz Yisrael. And then you continue, Kilosu me'me yeshu benun kemen Yisrael yomahu. And that's something that hadn't been done since the time of Joshua. It's a very straightforward reading. In the time of Joshua, they were Makadish the land through conquest. And then, now, now, on this occasion, when they were getting ready for Sukkot, or maybe on Sukkot, they're Makadish Yisrael a second time. Okay. Now, if you accept the principle of serious Mekoshayim, but uh, the regular Mepharshim try not to go with that. And therefore, you end up with those kind of Mepharshim type works. You know, in a Barbanel, Rabag, and all that. They didn't do with as much Simcha, with as much Islavas, and so on and so forth. Then there's a third approach, very Lumdish, you know. Uh, the Mal- Malbim, I think, says they didn't do it in the Rosh Hashanah, and now they did the first time Rosh Hashanah, or something like that. Uh, others, you know, every, every Achron will try to put some kind of Lumdish stick in it. Let, let that be, it's fine. Now, uh, I um, make, make use of one of them. But this is the great famous quandary. Like, what the heck is going over here with this business in Chemi that nobody made a, uh, a circus in the time of Yeshua Benoni? Now, this led me to think this morning, when this popped in my head, um, about a fundamental question that I deal with every once in a while. And that is, the funny thing, that when you learn Gemara, you find out about certain holidays that the way we have them today is not the only possible way of understanding. It's the way that evolved in Jewish history and history of Allah. So, for example, there are opinions in, in, in Pesachim, the Chomets is Mutter Bano, you understand? There are such opinions. Which is, is interesting that the Hetanoim Amroim that follow such a Mahalach. So similarly, when you come to Sukkah, we always talk about the fact that Sukkah is a Deir Esaroi. There are 10,000 farts, without exaggeration, and drushes about Sukkot being a dearest, a right temporary structure. Uh, the best of them is like Abishutz, or Abishutz, so you should take a look at it if you're interested in the Iris Tabash. Oh, you go into Sukkot, you remember your whole Gansa, all of Gashmias is transitory, and money is transitory, and you should be concerned in the Ruchnias, and say me dearest Keva, you know, with Darb, dearest Aroi, that's a philosophy of life, etc., etc., etc. What's his name? The Kliok, uh, or, you know, the Olus Ephraim writes like that. It's a very well-known anti-materialist type of approach. Fine. And that's one school of thought. And based on that, you learn right away at the beginning of Sukkah. A Sukkah can't be too high, because then, you know, be a dearest keva, and so on and so forth. However, and, and by the way, that's, that's the halacha, meaning that's what we follow in halachic practice, that there are all these rules and regulations about a Sukkah calculated to make the point that uh, a Sukkah is a, is a temporary dwelling, a dearest of right. Now, um, but that's not the only way of understanding it. You think it is. As everybody who ever learned Sukkah for half a second knows, Rabbi Huda says, Sukkah is the dearest kev Is a permanent dwelling? It's the opposite of what he just said. He said a Sukkah could be as high as you want, for example. And many other examples in the Gemara. And uh, in the Gemara, you, uh, Sukkah, says in Dab Zion, I think, that uh, many famous people held that Asuka's dearest keva. It's, uh, I remember Behuda Nasi and Mushun Gamliel and Behuda, of course, and some other people. So it's a very respectable position within rabbinic thought, Talmudic thought. Many great people are of this opinion. I think the reason that we don't pask in that way, I believe, 
is because of one of those methodological things from long ago, I think I'm right about this, where we say, in halacha keshita. In other words, when the Gemara says that uh, Rebbe and Rebbe Huda and Rebbe Galil and this one and that one all held that a sukkah's dearest keva, but for different reasons, what we call in the Supreme Court concurring opinions, somebody told me that in the Zoom tonight, so uh, then we know, in halacha keshita. has to be that the they only not only hold the same way for, for the same reasons. Uh, that's a technical word. Is that the reason we say Sukkot Zadiris Aroi in Halacha Lamaisa? But many people held in Sukkot Zadiris Keva. That's the point I'm trying to get across. In which case, what's the Sukkot? Throw out all those Dvar Torahs from Yonas and Abishitz and the Kliyaka and the others. You know what I mean? Don't tell them about the transitoriness of anything. It's not transitory Bechlal. As a matter of fact, um, even a Diris Aroi is kind of strange because you can really, I'm talking about Minatora now, you can really, uh, uh, put big boards on your roof, can't you? It's only Xeris Tikra, you know, the Rabbanans say, you can't do it because it'll look like a house, and it would. But as far as God is concerned, you know, I could have like one big, imagine if I had built a sukkah, and I want one giant piece of wood that I ordered from the store, and it covered the whole sukkah. The rain doesn't really have to get in, you know, not really. In Russia, they used to pile up the wood so much the rain couldn't get in. And so, uh, I'm talking about, I repeat, this Minatora. So why would God do that and talk about a dear Sarai? You understand what I'm saying? Even according to the way we Paskin, the Gemara says that it's only Xerah that you can't use these boards. But uh, Minatora you could. So what is the nature of Sukkah as a transitory thing or as a permanent structure? And more to the point, uh, once shot, how do you understand Sukkah as being a, a permanent structure? So I was speculating upon this, and that's all I can share with you today. And you can... Agree or disagree, they'll give you something to think about on Sukkot while you and I are stuck in the middle of the corona junk. Okay? Now, Adiris Aroi, this idea should be Sukkot Adiris Aroi, this just struck me, is uh, defended in Rashi because it says, uh, I'm quoting from the Bartonor, but he quotes from Rashi, Sukkot Aroi, but you know, at the beginning of the Mishnah, it should be for seven days. Now, it's build a structure that can only last seven days. Now, as Naran says, it doesn't literally mean that way, but in other words, that's the ideal sukkah that's of a temporary nature. You understand? And something usually can last only seven days. So my point's like this. The shita of Diris Aroi has a makar. It's a way of reading the Pesach. What about Diris Keva? I don't think they give a source. So, that's strange. Uh, you know, like why does it say Tasa? I don't know. As far as I'm aware, unless I'm making a mistake, I don't think there's a Pusik or anything like that. So ha- where do you get the idea that there's Dearest Keva? Unless you say it's a default option. That was just the most logical shot. So throw out everything that you and I learned and put on a different thinking cap. Uh, now, when you have two schools of thought on the fundamental of Judaism, as you do over here, that there are many famous rabbis who said the Tanoim, I'm talking the Sukkot Zadiris Keva, and others, the majority, said the Sukkot Zadiris Aroi, we're dealing with an Elev Elev Dibur Lechim Chaim, aren't we? Right? Can't say one's right, one's wrong, even in general, but here, there's like a very respectable opinion. It's sort of like the Ashkenaz versus Friday. You can't say it wrong, you know? This one falls this way, and that one falls that way. Now, here's what I'm thinking, in, the, in my opinion. For the first thousand years of Jewish history, 
for as they say, put yourself in that position for a minute. I think a sukkah was viewed as the dearest keva in by its recent period. After all, the Jews were in their own land for close to a thousand years. There was no prospect of Gaulish. They didn't know what you and I know with hindsight, that eventually the Jews would lose the land and be kicked out. They're living in prosperity. The sukkah, therefore, was simply to remember how our ancestors traveled in the desert. La Fuki, the glorious present, when every Jew had a non-transitory permanent home, a home he actually expected to pass down to his descendants, like a guy. <laughs> if you lived in Yehuda, time of Shoftim, or in Yisachar, you're living there, that's your natural country, you see. One could, as I said before, even live in a fully roofed building. There's no Xeris Tikra. So, how do you build a sukkah? The sukkah's already there. And your house, which is a dearest keva, can be a sukkah. It does, in other words, we're not following the thing that says, say me dearest keva, the alechle, what do you call it, or dearest arai. It's not true. The sukkah is a dearest keva. So, best I can figure, all you had to do was be like my fakvek, you know, go pick up the boards again. So I'm living in a house, let's say, in the time of David Amal, and I have a roof, a wooden roof, or whatever it is, and provided, you know, it's a gidula menakarka and all that stuff. Uh, not Makabal Tumma. And uh, I give I give the roof a shake, you know. Uh, pick up the boards, whatever you know, like like we do today when you when you have some build a sukkah, you have to move the boards. Talmud of the Schach. So typically no one built a sukkah, they just fiddle with the roofs and they were Yotzi. That's how I see it, right? I mean again, sukkah is the dearest keva. You don't have to build a separate building, say me dearest keva, you know, like you imagine, and live in a in a hut out in the fields. Uh, the sukkah itself is the dearest keva, and uh, you can use a you know a tikra. Uh, all you did was just fiddle with the roof. So, in other words, it wasn't what it is to you and me. It was just a reminder of an historical event of our ancestors in the desert. Okay, so in other words, I'm living like I said before in time with David Melch or Shlomo or whatever, and comes this time of the year, uh, you know, I fiddle with the roof. I tell everybody, you know. This house, on this week of the year, we remind ourselves that we dwelled in houses of a certain kind in, in, in the desert. Uh, and uh, that's why I'm shaking the roof up uh, in the desert. And the children are supposed to say, well, what do you mean? And they say, oh, we had mon and we had be'er and we had all these nisim and flows, that kind of thing. Now, according to this sheet, as I said before, you don't have to be saving dearest keva. You can remain in your dearest keva. Now, remember, there is more in the Chumash to the holiday sukkahs than the sukkah. There's the Arba Minim, there's the Pari Hachag, there's the Hakafas with the Hoshainas, uh, there's the Simchas Beis Eshoeva. Now, sukkahs contains a lot of businesses, a lot of different things. So nobody had to build one on their porch, in their yard, and, and that sort of thing. Your house could be your sukkah, provided your roof wasn't, you know, uh, Makabal Tumah and all that kind of stuff. Perhaps, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, perhaps what they did was, uh, you know, pull the nails out. You know what I'm saying? From the roof or something like that. Like, I wasn't there, but, you know, something like that. If there are elements that are tummy in the roof, that would actually be a very nice shot. That once a year, you remove the tummy items from your roof. as very symbolic. That's like Hershian, you know. Says Revel Hirsch. Remove the tumma from what lies above you and the rookness in life and have Tahara. That day... Had the Kliyakar lived at that time, he would have said some kind of shot like that. Then, what happened? Uh, 
unexpected to the Jews, this we know from the prophets, they went into exile in Babylonia. They lost everything. They blew it. They lost the, the north. They lost the south. They lost the base of Migdash, as we know. Now the Jews found themselves on foreign soil. They felt the degradation for the first time. A bingo. See, you and I, unfortunately, were vets. We've been in Gauls for a couple thousand years, and before that, we know about Gauls Bavo. To us, the Gauls is the normal. If the Mashiach came tomorrow, we'd be shocked. You know what I'm saying? We don't expect it. We say we do, but you don't expect it. Uh, Gauls is, is, is what we're used to. Just the question is it better Gauls or worse Gauls? Is it, is it Tsarist Russia? Is it the USA? You know, that kind of thing. But in those days, the Jews had been close to a thousand years of living in their own land. I mean, they had their share of loser kings and loser wars, but they were still in their own land. And now, they don't have any land. And the Jews found themselves as a people, the Malchus Yudin, in Bob and Gauls. And uh, it's a shock. And as we all know, like, it's, like the psalmist says, Eich noshi Hashem al-admas How can we now sing the old songs on foreign soil? They felt themselves on admas nechar. And so their lives became transient, impermanent, ready to move at a moment's notice by stern necessity. The life of kol ola nidov. It's a driven leaf. In Babylonia and Persia, the Jews were not landowners with rights. They were the personal property of the Oriental potentates and were so terrified that, as we know, everybody, including the rabbis, was Mishtach Velitzelim. Remember that Gemara in Megillah? Nebuchadnezzar scared them. Only Hanan Mishal Zariah uh, refused to bow down. All the other Jews did. And that's why Shema Yochai says, you know, that they were Chai of Misa, you know, time of Homa, and they came close to getting killed. So think about that. They were so terrified. Now, this didn't happen in earlier times. You understand? I mean, you had your good kings, you had your bad kings, you had your victories, you had your defeats. But they were never mamish, you know, and totally at the mercy of a foreign person. The, the Jews experienced abject slavery for the first time since Pharaoh. I don't think you and I think along those lines usually. The Jews have been a proud people of their own sort, with our ups and downs, for a century after century. And now they find themselves as I say, reduced to the most abject slavery, the only thing is that they had good lobbyists. He had a Daniel, he had a Mordechai, you know, so it, it didn't turn out as bad as it might have turned out, but it was still a bummer. In such an environment, I think, the sukkah came to be seen differently as the symbol of the wandering Jew with its combination of fragility and providence. The sukkah came to be analyzed as a diras arayv, and this emerged, I think, as the Torah opinion of many during this period. Even when the Jews returned to Israel in the time of Cyrus, Korish, uh, you know, it was a sneaky affair. It was not beyond Rama of Akumba Kufa. Ezra famously, if you look in the book of Ezra, he prays, he says, when he heard about the intermarriage, he freaked out, you know, and he says, Ki avodi manachnu, these are the words of Ezra and Nehemiah in chapter 9, I think of both books chapter 9 of Ezra, I believe in chapter 9 of Nehemiah they had these prayers Nehemiah even goes on to say all of our crops have to go to the kings who rule us uh, rule us over us 
Bachato Ein Seno, Val Gvi Aseno Moshlem, they totally own us, Ubehem Tainu, Kirtsonum, Ubetsar Gadola Nachtu. Now, wait a minute. Uh, Ezra Nechemia, if you know the book of Nechemia, was supposed to be a good time. Nechemia found favor in the eyes of King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, treated him very well. And I have a whole word on that. But, uh, but I'm wrong. In other words, even when things look good, it was the whim of a foreign ruler, a foreign potentate. So, you know, uh, Artaxerxes was in a good mood, so he treated you as well. One day he could have burped and, and, and reversed himself. You understand? And so, for the Jews, it's, it's, it's a terrifying new experience. And then they go and build it. And then, right at this time, uh, you know, they're going to now discover circus. Now, i got to tell you something. What made me think of this is something in Zevin. If you look at Mobile Ocho, which I've seen many times, because a very interesting word from the Nitziv, uh, in his big fat book, the Hamik Dover, you know, on the Hamik uh, Sha'ila, rather, Hamik Sha'ulah, to be exact, on the Shultas Rebbechai and Pashish Kishavo. It's in the Mamba the Balacha, but it's, in, it's, it's about the Rosh Hashanah part. And what it says over there is the famous story that people started crying when they heard about, uh, you know, Rosh Hashanah. Or let's put it this way the way you usually read the story, again, it's that very, very important chapter 8 in the book of Nechemi. I just read you the second part, the part about the circus, but there's the first part, which is very, very well known, and the first part says um, that they started reading the uh, Torah and, and being metargument, in other words, uh, explaining what's going on over here, because you and I know that there's nothing in the Chumash about Rashan being Yavadin. It says about a bunch of Karbonas, but it says that he had these metargumans, Mevini Mesu'amla Torah V'Homalamdam, and they explained what the Torah meant. And they said, good shot. In other words, they gave eloquent speeches. So basically, they scared the heck out of these guys. They said, yo, but then you're all going to burn an L, you know, that kind of thing, which is true. You know, what do we say? Nasana uh, Toikef and so forth. And they freaked him out. And they said, stop crying. Hayom Kodesh Ula Hashem Elkechem Altis Ablu V'Altifku Don't mourn and don't cry Ki Bochim Ha'am Ki Hashem Is Devei Yisrael Because when the people heard the Torah Meaning they heard the speeches By the rabbi friend at that time And uh, did a good job Like I say Say today's Nasan HaTokiv They were crying And that's why The famous Pasig He said Go home And L'Chu Ichlo Mashmanim M'Shusim Amtakim V'Shulchum Monosli Nochon Lo Ki Kodesh Ha'im L'Adonenu Go home and have a big meal And send Shalach Monos out I'm talking about a Rosh Hashanah. Ki Kadosh Hayim Ladoneinu. Ki Kadosh Hayim Ladoneinu. V'yal Te'otzvu Ki'et Chedvizim Milsu. And don't be sad, because God wants you to be happy. That's your strength. It's a famous uh, passage. So, the way you ordinarily read is what I just said. That's uh, the, my usually understanding of it. That the Levim and the Maturgamans, they did, like I said before, uh, a speech in which they described Nisana Taikiv, which it does not say in the Chumash, and that freaked everybody out, and they started crying. However, it doesn't go that way in his book. And he raised the question, what were they crying about? You know, what were they crying about? Uh, even if they made the people understand about the Yamadin, about the Rosh Hashanah, it says, doesn't say in the book of Nehemiah what they made them understand. Doesn't even say what passage of the Torah they were reading. So what were they crying about? And so 
very ingeniously the Nassim says, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll do it by memory, that uh, you know, Rosh Hashanah is a peculiar day. Is it a one-day holiday or a two-day holiday? Zevin has a brilliant essay, you know, I'm a fan of his, on um, Rosh Hashanah, several of them. One of them is about the history of Rosh Hashanah as a holiday, and by that he means when was it one day, when was it Tuesday? Two days, I mean. Rosh Hashanah, of course, is technically supposed to be one day, you know, in the um, On the other hand, because of the nature of the fact that it comes on Rosh Chodesh, and in the old days, when you had the basin system and the Adem, you know, like the Mishnah Rosh Hashanah, so you can't declare a new month until you go through the procedure with the Adem come and testify and they have to be accepted, blah, blah, blah. And uh, therefore, it was not actually physically possible for anyone outside of Yushalayim or whatever to even know which day was actually Rosh Hashanah. Get what I'm saying? Suppose they live in Tel Aviv or Haifa in those days or something like that. And obviously there was no phones or anything to answer the Yantiv anyway. So it's not possible, me living in Haifa, to know which day Rosh Hashanah was. Let's say Rosh Hashanah can either be Wednesday or Thursday. But that's in Yerushalayim. So witnesses, so it might be Wednesday, meaning the Adam saw it on, on the Tuesday night, and they'd have to go and travel to Yerushalayim. And the court doesn't sit until Wednesday morning, as we all know. And then they'd have to formally testify, be subject to a cross-examination, and if it satisfies the Sanhedrin, <coughs> excuse me, then Makodesh uh, Makodesh, you know, they declared. And then Wednesday will have been Rosh Hashanah. However, if the testimony is not accepted, or if there's no adim for whatever have happened, and the day went by for whatever reason, then Wednesday night and Thursday will be Rosh Hashanah. How can I know that if I live in Haifa? You see what I'm saying? This is not possible. Only somebody living in the Yushalayim would ever know for sure if it was the first day. You hear what I just said? And sometimes that wasn't so clear either. And as we all know, they made Tarkonis later on, you know, Nishtaw Eid Milovo, Niskakul Abim Mashir, all that business. So the bottom line is that the Jewish people were accustomed to the situation that they keep two days, except the people in Yushalayim. If you're near the base of Migdash, then it's possible to know the first day, because it could be. Let's say you lived a block away from Mason Mignus. I'm just making this up. So uh, you could make it your business to get over there. And, you know, I'm sure the word spread very fast. And you say, hey, they just declared uh, today Rosh Hashanah. I know it's weird about Rosh Hashanah beginning with dinner, not knowing about it, but that's the nature of Rosh Hashanah. But Kessel Yom Chagenu. So this was the way it used to be. Now, as opposed to elsewhere, you had to be two days. But in Jerusalem, be be, be one day. Now, uh, when Beis was destroyed, the Jews went into Babel. So all the Jews kept two days. Uh, They all kept two days. uh, Because they didn't have the basin and all that stuff. Now, now they came back. Uh, Oh, you come back. So it should be one day. Uh, It should be one day. And... uh, People didn't know. They figured, let's say it was Wednesday. So today should be Rosh Hashanah. But it was Vayom Hasheni, it says, they all assembled on the second day and started reading the Torah again, which means, as Rosh and the Gemara says, it was the second day of Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah was a two-day Rosh Hashanah. Why was it a two-day Rosh Hashanah? 
turned out that there was no Edom on the first day, for whatever reason. And so Mela, the second day, became Rosh Hashanah. They had kept the first day out of Suffolk, and, uh, but now the second day is Rosh Hashanah. Well, if you're a scholar, you understand that, but the people, then it seems, says, they just knew that now they're back, they have a base in Megdush, they just rebuilt it, it's time Ezra and Echemia, and uh, the Golis is over, they hoped, and they can go back to a one-day Rosh Hashanah, and here too you got a two-day Rosh Hashanah with Bayim Hashani. And they like freaked out, and they started crying, because they said, this base in Megdush is also not a, a Geula, and they had bad forebodings, which were accurate, that the second temple is only temporary, it's going to be destroyed eventually, the second Jewish commonwealth is going to go down the tubes the same way the first one did, and they basically started freaking. And um, here's where the comes with the lumbus. And it says, no, the Levine went among the people and said, uh, don't cry, uh, have a big yontav meal today, on Thursday, not on Wednesday. It's not shot that you're keeping two days um, because we're still in Gaulus, but it so happens the Adam didn't come yesterday. And so today is the, the Rosh Hashanah for purely halachic reasons. Notice, even if you live in Bayashani, I'm sorry, even if you live in Bayashani, this could have happened. Happens to be, today happens to be the real Rosh Hashanah. The Adam, for whatever reason, didn't come yesterday. And this is the meaning of the Gemara. Most Ezra, Lo, Matzim, Elam, Ober, but in the time of Ezra, you did. So is Ebriar. And uh, the only reason I'm sharing, first of all, it's a very nice word, but second of all, I'm sharing whether it puts you in the mindset, as the Nitzv paints it, of the Jews at that time, in which they were in very shaky ground. They just got permission to rebuild the base of English. They got it through trickery. If you know the book of Ezra, I'm not going to review it now. There was a lot of trickery and deceit and uh, playing uh, all kind of funny games. Real, I, I spoke about this on um, Purim, I guess. But and, and, you know, and they pulled it off. They did. But uh, it could be revoked. And uh, they weren't sure. And so, so basically their existence now is a transient one. The Bayashani was fundamentally different by his reason. By his reason, the Jews felt rooted in their land and uh, never imagined they could ever lose it. Uh, they wiped out most of the Canaanites and uh, dominated a lot of the others. Uh, they, had, they had their sins, no question about it, but those they felt rooted in the land. Bayashani, I think the whole time, they were exquisitely, exquisitely aware that they were not rooted in the land. It reminds you very much of the state of Israel today in the year 2020. Uh, Israel's hanging on by the, by the fingernails. Uh, who are we fooling? Uh, we won every day. Eretz Israel, Medina, Israel, Masliach. They got to be on top of the game. We can't afford to lose one battle to the Arabs. You know, we uh, have to be always on top of our game. And we're barely hanging on with what we got, despite the, the, the treaty with the UAE and all the others. I mean, I hope it's good. And we all pray that Israel should be on Sliach and all the rest of it. But it's a, a, it's, it's a, what's the right word, risky, you know, un, unclear thing. So, this being the case, so I want to suggest the following. This being the case, so when they, re, so they reread the Pusuk in that light. And they reread the Pusuk and they say that you should make a Sukkah Kakosuv. I think they say, I guess, no, you have to build a Deir Saroy. Not the sukkah the way your ancestors did as dearest keva, but it's the dearest aroi. You understand? And reflection of that is they start building sukkahs all kind of wild and crazy places, like the Malbim says. In Chatzir is in Chatzir Beis Amigdash here and there and the other. I mean, why? Why would you ever build a sukkah in the Bayes period? Your house is a sukkah. It's the dearest keva. All you have to do is pull the nails out, 
be mefakpek a little bit or something like that, and you're in business. You got a sukkah. It's halachic sukkah. Um, but if you have the sensibility that's a dear then indeed it is a hut built outside the house, and you build them all over the place to show it's not identical with your house. It's not a dearest kevo. And that is a that, that, that's a symbol of who we are as a Jewish people. We're, uh, we're not relying on the dearest kevo because that didn't work in the Bayesian period. We lost it. Uh, the sukkah is a dearest haroib, and uh, that's why, and all of a sudden, that's why they start darshaning Shiva Siyamim. A sukkah is something that's only to be, supposed to be made for seven days, meaning in terms of its intrinsic structure. And uh, it became the reflection of, that you and I are familiar with, uh, as I said before, the Kliyakar and so many others, that, you know, it's, it represents the Jew in, uh, in Gaulus. Uh, now, Gaulus, even if you have Eretz Yisrael, like Abishad says, you can live in Israel in a good house, but say, me dearest Keva, get out of your uh, Gashmiistic attachment to Israel and be in Tzalud of Hemnusa, you know, that kind of thing, and realize that your possession of Israel, even, is totally vaimid, which it was during the entire Baishani period. You know, very short time, the Jews had an independent state in the Second Temple period and the Hasmonean period for a very short time. Ruba, the Ruba, the Ruba, the Ruba, of those four or five hundred years, whatever it was, either under the Persians or under the Greeks or under the Romans and so on and so forth, as we all know the sad political history of Second Temple period. And so this uh, came, in my opinion, to predominate. And therefore, that's the meaning of the Pusik. Uh This is the shot I'm offering. So, so, so how do you read it again? It says that they opened, in other words, after they realized it's the second day of, uh, of Rosh Hashanah, they were on a blue mood, like the Nixie was saying. So uh, they started freaking and crying. And uh, then they said, no, 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 uh, don't cry. To Rosh Hashanah was, was, was just a, uh, a fluke in the calendar because the Adam didn't come. Uh, we kind of know that that didn't work. This is my interpretation. And the reason is as follows. In Pasig Yud and Yud Aleph in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. In Pasig Yud it says, Vayemer lehem, lechu ichlu mashmanim, ushtum amtakim, v'shilcho molens lehen nochen lo, ki kodashim ladunenu, v'yal teotzvu, ki chedvah sashim mozchem. Don't cry. But they kept crying. V'alavim machshim l'cholam lehemur hasu, ki ayam kodash v'yal teotzvu. So basically, the first group, uh, went and they tried to <laughs> they tried to say listen, don't cry, let's make a kiddish you know, that works for a lot of people we'll make a big kiddish and not take your mind off the worry you don't like the, the COVID, make a kiddish uh, you know, with the, with the people in your capsule, as they say in Israel and everything will be great uh, the second group, Dovim they were more like, you know, what should I say like a mashkech in yeshiva hasu you have to shut up, you're not allowed to be sad which means they continue to be sad and so, what I'm trying to say is, now the next puzzle is that they finally sat down and ate. But this is hovering over them, this sadness. And then, and let us be maskil the Torah, which means, let's understand the Torah in the light of what events have shown us. And that's the transitoriness. They they started reading about sukkahs, and they all went and, and built sukkahs, kakosuv, as is written, meaning as a dearest haroi. And they built one, al-gag, not the gag itself, 
All you have to do is take something out. But al agag, v'chatzur sim, v'chatzur beis alkim, v'chush shamar, v'chush shamayim, and v'yasu shabim sukos. They made these sukos, v'yeshva sukos, meaning they constructed the diras arois. Kilosim meishu benanim zeh, because that's something hadn't been done since the time of Joshua. In the time of Joshua, the Jews literally had sukos. Notice they didn't have uh, houses yet. Uh, meaning before they conquered it. Uh, now I admit to you why Yoshua is mentioned, but I think I did that last year. That's the basis of the Rokeh and the others who have that strange shot that Yoshua, when he conquered the land, so during the wars, and he was part of the war against Sichon and Og, and they were in pup tents, you know, out in the battlefield during the sieges. Uh, but be that as it may, the key point is that now for the first time they're doing the and that became the predominant option. Now, it's true, the Ortanaim still held out the old way. It's a Deiris Keva. But, um, unfortunately, events in history sort of have valorized the Deiris model because the Sukkah really did become the, 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 the symbol of the Jew. We live in uh, non-security. It's a Tzalendahemnu, so you're, you're always relying on divine providence. Whenever in Jewish history people have felt that they're secure, that's when persecution happens, as we know. You don't need me to tell you that. Um, they can't lose their their connection with, you know, the schach and, and all that kind of business. And what can I tell you? You know, the the, the, the sukkah became the model. You know, um, I'm sure I must have mentioned sometime or another. A number of years ago I was in uh, Venice. And, you know, it was like one of the groups I led, Jewish history groups. And uh, five, six years ago. And uh, we arranged to be in Venice on Shabbos. That was how they worked it out. First time I was ever there. And you know, you got to Venice Ghetto and all. We arrived on a Friday morning or Thursday night, a Friday morning. Uh, anyhow, uh, and so uh, I had arranged with our tour guide, the guy who organized the tour for me that, you know, we're dominating in this and this shul, and it was the Spanish shul, uh, which was one of several. I'm sure I talked about this when I mentioned, uh, what's it, Mazari Figo long ago. He was the preacher there, the one who wrote the uh, famous Drusha book, the Bina uh, Litim. And Mazari uh, Figo was a fantastic uh, speaker, you know, orator. And we dominated in that shul. And Mazari Figo, Picha, was uh, the Talmud, of Leona Modena, Yudaya Modena, who was a famous, controversial, and famous rabbi of his time. And uh, I never did a podcast on him. And uh, he was a stickle weirdo, no question about it, if you ever read his autobiography. Definitely a weirdo. But he was a big Talmud Chochem, and he was a fantastic speaker. And he has a collection of drushes of his own, which are not as well known as those of his students, Zaya Figo, but uh, for connoisseurs of Jewish, they're well known. And a number of years ago in Israel, I bet you 20 years ago, um, they, they put an addition. I remember I was just pleasantly shocked. I never know how these things work. Uh, they put an addition, Menukad, with uh, nice little paragraphs and stuff like that in Israel. And uh, it's called Drush's Midbar Yehuda. It's really Medaber Yehuda. But, you know, that's, that's what it looks like. And they're his um, sermons, the 16 or 17 of them which he composed when he was a young man. And I remember uh, vividly um, his sermon about Asukas, right? And uh, and I said it over 
to my group in the afternoon before Mincha. I got permission for our group to come, our tourist group to come to Shul an hour or something like that before regular Mincha when the regular Olam shows up. Nobody was there. You have to get the permission, of course. And I said, this is really a treat. I'm going to stand on the same pulpit as, uh, you know, these famous preachers. The other, and I'll say, Zogib, I'll say over their farts, uh, their drushes, or pieces of them anyway. Now, Leon and Modena was actually the rabbi in the shul uh, next door, I think, which was called the Italiani shul. He was not Sephardi. The shul I was in is called the Spanish, the Sephardic synagogue. That's where Figo was. And Leon Modena was not Sephardi and not Ashkenazi. He was Italiani. It's a special minhug of its own. Uh, but nevertheless, he was there. And, and by the way, this was like in the summer, I think, or something like it. It wasn't circus time at all. But I took the opportunity and I, I, I don't remember if I brought the book with me, I did by heart. And I remember he says, Harachman Yakum Lona Sukas David Hanna Fellas. This is Leona Mundana talking and uh, preaching. By the way, Gaim used to hear him, he was that good. You know, Italian uh, priests and stuff used to listen to him. So uh, the question is like this Harachman Yakum Lona Sukas David Shanafla. The sukkah of King David has fallen. And please, O Lord, rebuild it. The temple is destroyed. The Jewish kingdom is gone. Uh, the sukkah has collapsed, as we say today. And now rebuild it. But instead, using Lashon Avar, it's Hanafolis, it's Lashon Hove. So why is that? It's falling. Restore for us, O Lord, the sukkah of King David, which is falling. And he said like this, he said, this is us, the Jews of Venice, and the Jewish people of Bechlal. The, uh, you know, we still survive in spite of all the anti-Semitism and all the persecution and all the hatred. And the guy who hate the heck out of us. And uh, would like to kill us all. And, uh, but they don't. And what they can't understand is, how do we, the Klal Yisrael, we don't have a state, we do not have an army, we don't have any of the normal institutions of national cohesion, and as he puts it over here, the, the sukkah doesn't have three walls, doesn't have four walls, doesn't have three walls, doesn't even have one wall. All the walls have collapsed. The base of Migdash was a wall, it's gone. The Malchus was a wall, it's gone. Sanhedrin was a wall, it's gone, and so forth. And anywhere else, if you have a building and the walls collapse, the roof falls. And yet, the sukkah is done in the fellas. By David, the sukkah is David, which is the Jewish people, it's falling, but it never falls. You get the word? It's falling, but it doesn't fall. It's nefelis, but it never nefla. So that's what drives the world crazy. You know, the, the sukkah, the schach, which is so flimsy, is the symbol of the Jewish uh, survival. As I said before, fragility married to providence. Uh, that's a very good speech. Now, by the way, i got to tell you, I said this word over, and the Israeli, um, you know, all these shows in Europe, you really have like Israeli guards, get it? You know, they're private security guys or Mossad guys, whatever. But the people who are watching the shows in these countries where there's a lot of danger from the terrorism, as you know, is the case in Europe. So, um, you know, they have security guards over there. I mean, they were pretty strict. I remember we were there for Shabbos, and as soon as services were over, they said, everybody get out of here, don't hang around. You know, if crowds stand in front of the show, it's like an open uh, uh, invitation for terrorism. So they live a very terror, what's the right word, conscious uh, existence. But um, 
But these security guards, they came in to listen to the speech. They said, this is Gavaldi. They told my wife, I said, this is great. They thought I'm making this up, you know. My wife says, I sang over. And then the, the locals from Venice came from Mincha time. And they sat down, they're listening. They said, oh, this is Gavaldi. This is a fantastic speech. I said, this speech was given here in Venice, maybe at this show long ago. And they said, listen, we don't know anything. Tell, tell us our past. We were just totally ignorant. We live here, we know nothing about us. So you have the Sukkot's Dovah on the Fellas, on the Fellas, and that's the Deir Azaroi Vart, correct? That's Deir Azaroi. It's the whole idea of temporary, of transitory, of transient, that the, 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 we're not we're not at the goals yet. We're Harachim Yalkamano. We hope for it one day. We ain't there yet. And uh, consequently, if that's true, then the occasion of that Rosh Hashanah in which, yeah, for the first time, the emergence of a conscience that's no longer dearest Keva, but now it's the dearest Aroi, where it becomes hardwired anyway into the Jewish uh, conscience, and eventually comes the predominant uh, opinion in rabbinic literature, the one that governs the halachic practice, uh, dates from this uh, faithful, uh, you know, occasion of the Anshayasegdola, which I'm sure is somehow or other tied to the fact that according to the Jewish tradition, not only did they switch to the dearest Aroi, but they also got rid of the Yitzhar of Adazar. There's got to be a connection with that, and they also imposed Kedusha's Eretz role. So this, I give you a rich uh, topic for discourse at your sukkah over the next couple of days, whether you live in America or Israel or anywhere else. How would you connect this switch from the dearest Keva uh, consciousness to the dearest Aroi, together with the destruction of, of the Yitzhar of Adazar, which is of huge importance, and also the resanctification of Eretz Israel, which is, of course, obviously of huge importance. Uh, I think there's plenty of food for thought. With that, I wish you a Chag uh, Sameach, as they say, Yom Simchaschem. And uh, it's hard to have all the regular Simcha and the regular guests and so forth in the Corona business. Uh, my family's going through the same business like everybody else. But uh, I'm dealing with things that are, you know, let's put it this way Corona is transient. <laughs> you understand? Know Sukkot uh, goes on and on. And with that, I wish you a good Yantav. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.